Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media presents Black Arm of the Law. Welcome to Black Arm of the Law podcast, where each week we'll examine the most pressing issues in the criminal legal system. I'm your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, also known as Chief B. As we settle into today's show, don't forget to download, subscribe, follow, comment, rate um, us on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So let's jump into it. This week, I have to do a headlines and hashtags for you. Let me tell you why. Now, stay with me, audience. According to the New Zealand Police Department, when photography was invented in the first half of the 19th century, it seemed to be the solution to problems with criminal identification. Officers no longer needed to rely on their memories and written descriptions of prisoners to recognize criminals. By 1841, the French began making what was called these dagger daragotypes or something of that nature of prisoners. Basically, what that was is they used iodine and mercury vapor to make a picture of a criminal. That became known as a mugshot. It included a front and side view of the arrested person. The tool, or better known, the mugshot, was the nickname. It came from this informal meeting when we talk about someone's face, calling it a mug, right? So back in the day, we would talk about putting your hands in somebody's face, you mugged them. So British police employed later, though, to, to expand on this, a professional photographer, and they would photograph criminals to help regional police identify, according to their words, vagrants, um, end quote. Now, notice the subtle criminalization of poverty and homelessness when you use that kind of language. They said that these vagrants move from place to place committing crimes, so they wanted to make sure they could capture who they might be. Soon, however, though, many prisons began systematically photographing incarcerated prisoners in order to supplement these written descriptions and then somehow defeat the use of these aliases so that if someone came in, used another name than than their original name they had been booked under. Swiss authorities around 1854 began circulating photographs of criminals to the public for the first time. In other words, it was the precursor to the wanted posters that we all know became famous during the American West um, around the 1860s. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. In 1858, the New York Police Department opened its first what they called rogue galleries to the public. So think about going to an exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum or some other museum. And you have these rogue galleries. People were invited to look through the galleries of mugshots in order to familiarize themselves with local criminals and possibly help identify offenders. Rather than, though, a practical aid to the police, some scholars have criticized these rogue galleries or these portraits of mugshots, right, were merely a source of entertainment for Victorian lawyers. 
They claim that the mugshots at this time served nothing more than to publicly humiliate and punish the offender more than a practical means of recording information or identifying criminals or those persons who might be a threat to society. Nonetheless, the trend caught on around the world. And these galleries started opening in Germany in 1864, 1867 in Russia, 1870 in England. Soon, however, though, these mugshots became familiar type of image that we easily recognize um, today as a standard aspect of police work. But is it really and should it be standard? In 2020, San Francisco Police Chief William Scott said that they would no longer be releasing mugshots unless there was a public safety reason. Quote, this policy emerges from compelling research suggesting that the widespread publication of police booking photos in the news and on social media creates an illusory, an illusory correlation between, in other words, an illusion of a correlation between the viewer that fosters racial bias and vastly overstates the propensity of black and brown men to engage in criminal behavior. As the police in Charlottesville, I jettison the practice as well. Fostering racial bias and vastly overstating the propensity of black and brown men to engage in criminal behavior is not the reason for this hashtag in headline that the current Speaker of the House, Republican Mike Johnson, champion of law and order, will not show the faces of insurrectionists attempting to overthrow the government on January 6th. According to The Guardian, quote, the House Speaker Mike Johnson said he would blur the faces of the insurrectionists who stormed the Capitol on January 6th before releasing that new footage to the public in order to shield the rioters from justice. In a press conference, Johnson, who was personally involved in the efforts to overturn the 2020 election, said, quote, we have to blur some faces of persons who participated in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and to be charged by the DOJ, end quote. The Daily Beast further expounded on the comments of Speaker Johnson and added that he didn't want the House's release of thousands of hours worth of security footage from January 6th, slated to be released in batches over the coming months to the public to cause insurrectionists any more, quote, concerns and problems, end quote, than they had already faced. My response, miss me with that fill in the blank podcast listeners. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. In other headlines, two of my former guests are now in the headlines this week. Councilwoman Liz Darden and Selwyn Jones, George Floyd's Jr.'s uncle. If you recall, when they were on the show, they talked about the foundation that they had created, Hope 929, a nonprofit working to create equity for historically marginalized groups while giving communities the tools to grow stronger and more self-sufficient. According to a headline 
at the Ozarks at large. So this is from Arkansas, the Ozarks. Now remember the show when you think about the Ozarks. The Ozarks at large, a local NPR affiliate, um, had a headline that states this. A new nonprofit in Harrison looks to provide jobs and affordable housing. Folks, you would think these efforts would be publicly applauded. The lack of affordable housing and jobs can be primary drivers of poverty and crime. Oh, but not in Harrison, Arkansas, home and headquarters to the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. According to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, quote, Harrison housing project causes controversy. Project led by George Floyd's uncle and council member sparks controversy. The facility that they are building in Harrison, supported by the Foundation Hope 929, is known as the Gateway Harrison. It will provide 30 apartments and jobs for 50 area residents. So 30 apartments during an affordable housing crisis and jobs for 50 residents in the area. So why would a town once labeled, quote, the most racist town in America, respond so angrily? Resident Bo Guerra stated, here's why. The name, Hope 929. You guys make us sound like racists when you use that, and we're not. McGarris' comments, Bo's comments, drew a round of applause from the more than 200 people at the meeting to object to the building of 30 new apartments and 50 new jobs based on this project. Well, Bo, let's back this up. Harrison has been dogged by image problems since racial unrest more than a century ago. The problem was exasperated in the 1980s when Tom Robb, leader of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, moved to the rural Boone County just outside of Harrison and began using Harrison, a Harrison post office, for the group's mailing address. Now, <laughs> there's nowhere near, as they went to go on to say when they were talking about it, this is no, this is nowhere near as murderous than what they had when they were moving in. They had these riots there in um, Harrison at the time. The Harrison um, city had these riots. And what they did during these rioting times of 1905 and 1909, they drove out all of the Blacks that were in that community, except one African-American who stayed there. By this violence, they created basically an all-white community similar to other sundown towns in northern and western Arkansas. Now, that's according to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas. These sundown towns existed until the 2000s in Harrison, with the headquarters of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan located nearby. Harrison retained the legacy of ethnic cleansing, and in terms of demographics and reputations, through the 20th century and into the 21st century, as basically an all-white community. Well, Bo, maybe it's the leafletting of flyers from the Gateway Harrison Project, calling it a gateway to crime, a gateway to lower property values, a gateway to higher taxes, and trying to bring in 30 Black families to make Harrison look more like their families. Remember, Councilwoman Darden is raising three multicultural children, and Uncle Selwyn is Black. Yep, Bo, 
That's why Harrison sounds racist. That's my headline and hashtags for the week to our audience. Thank you for listening. Please tell someone about the show. Don't forget to download, subscribe, rate, follow, comment on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, tune in. This is the end of my shift. I'll catch you next week. I am 1042. The Black Arm of the Law podcast is hosted by Rashal Brackney Wheelock. Executive producers Ken Johnson, Steve Tompkins, and Rashal Brackney Wheelock. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, the Mean Old Line Media app, or where you get your podcast. Follow Black Arm of the Law at BLK Arm of the Law on IG and X. Follow the Mean O Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O Line Media. Get the Mean O Line Media app in the App Store and Google Play for more great podcasts. The Black Arm of the Law Podcast is a Mean O Line Media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.